Well, uh, I want you to get your Bibles. Mark chapter 7 is where we're going to be hanging out today. I'm really excited about this passage of Scripture. As you can see, I got my Andy Stanley TV behind me. So hopefully we're going to interact with that a little bit. And uh, just to hopefully make the points uh, stand out to you a little bit more. But I always love speaking on stories in the Bible that uh, I've never preached on before. And stories that I've really not spent a whole lot of time studying over. And, and this is one of those stories. And I'm just going to be honest with you. This is a tough passage of scripture. And I love that as well. We like tackling some of the tough things. But I believe as you get into this story with me, the Holy Spirit's going to draw you in. He's going to speak to your heart and you're going to be moved because like me, some of you are trusting God right now for a miracle. You need a miracle in your life. You're praying for a miracle. You're believing God for a miracle. You're desperate for a miracle. For some of you, it may be a financial miracle. You and your family, you, got, you have come to the end of your resources and you don't know how you're going to make it moving on, moving forward. And, and you're, you're desperate. God, we need you to move in our lives financially. Or you may need a miracle take, to take place in your marriage. You have given it everything you know to give, every, every, every bit of your resources and all of your knowledge, you poured it into it and you just, you've just hit the wall. You, you've got, you have nothing left. You need a miracle. For some of you single adults who are here today, and I love you guys, you, 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 are, you need a miracle involving school, you need a miracle involving a job, you need a, a miracle involving a relationship maybe, or a lack of a relationship, or maybe you need a miracle as it relates to your future because you're looking out ahead of you, and for some of you, you just, you got out of college, or you're in college right now, or you're not in college, or whatever it looks like, and you're just looking ahead, and you don't know what to do next, and you just need God to show up, and for you, it's huge, and you need a miracle, for some of you older adults in here, you're, you're praying for your health because maybe you, maybe you just received some, some bad news and you need God to move in your life and in your health and you need a miracle. Or maybe you are desperately praying for a son or a daughter or a grandchild and you have been praying for years and you just need God to move. Or you are just here today and you're like, I just need something because my life's going nowhere. I just need something. And maybe what I do need is a miracle. I want to, I'll tell you a, a big prayer that I'm praying right now. One of our church planners, a guy named Lee Mabry, who uh, many of you know that name. He was the pastor at Fortify Hills for years. And uh, we helped him plant a church several years ago, about, I think about eight, eight years ago or so in the North Paulding area. Grace Point Church, and this past week he was diagnosed with liver cancer. And the tumor is too big to operate on this point. Lee is, I believe he's 54. He's a husband, he's a dad, he's a great friend, he's a grandfather. And my buddy, need, my buddy Lee needs a miracle today, all right? But here's the good news for all of you, including my friend Lee. Jesus is still in the miracle business, Jesus is still in the miracle business. And I love that and you love that. But the question you may be asking is, what do I do when I need Jesus to do a miracle in my life? You may be thinking, I love that Jesus can still do miracles. I love that, that he's doing them in other people's lives. It's inspiring. But, but what about my situation here today? Because sometimes I'm not quite sure, Brian. And honestly, my faith is wavering a little bit and I need some encouragement today. I need, I need some truth today because honest... If I had to be honest, I'm desperate for a real-time, modern-day, personal miracle. Well, this morning's passage of Scripture is going to challenge you to believe that Jesus is still in the miracle business. And hopefully, it's going to equip you to know what to do when you're desperate for God to, to, to move, when you, when you really, truly need a miracle in your life. We're going to pick up in Mark chapter 7, and verse 24, and here's what the Bible says. 
And from there, he, being Jesus, arose and went away to the region of Tyre and, and, and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, for this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. Now, Mark tells us that Jesus has just left the North Shore region of the Sea of Galilee. And now he's traveled about 30, 40 miles north to a Gentile territory called Tyre. And he's left a region full of Jewish people to hang out. Uh, in, in a region full of non-Jewish people. These are Gentiles, okay? These are, these are lost people. The, the, in, in the, the, the Jews would have termed them pagans, okay? And why did he do that? Well, he needed a break. He, he, did, he did it to get away from the crowds for a while. He had served so many people. He was so exhausted and, and he had done so much ministry. He just needed some downtime. So, so he got away. His plan was to hide out for a few days, get off of everyone's radar, just to rest, recover, and spend some time with his disciples who also needed a break. Now, let me take a, uh, make a little note here. The son of God needed a rest. And for those of us workaholics, all right, workaholics, don't miss that. If the son of God needed a rest and, he, and knew he could, needed to get away just to get away to recoup and recover, we need to do the same thing, okay? However, this little plan that Jesus had, it didn't work. As Mark says, he couldn't be hidden. Somet- somehow these Gentile people who lived way outside the, the area where Jesus did most of his ministry heard about him and heard and knew about his ability to perform miracles. And one of those people was this woman that we just read about. Now, This woman had some big challenges in her life. Not only was she desperate for a miracle, but she had some real big faith challenges. She had some major challenges that that should have kept her from approaching Jesus. But as we're going to see, she approached him anyways. Now, what do I mean by challenges? Well, let's take a look at a few of them, okay? The first one we want to look at is simply her nationality. This lady had a social challenge, uh, as Mark points out, she was a, she was a Syrophoenician. In, in the Old Testament, we would have called her a Canaanite. Today, we would call her Lebanese. Today, in this passage of scripture, Jesus is hanging out in modern day Lebanon. And that's a cool fact, but this presented a problem. This woman was a Gentiles. And the Jews, as I said earlier, they viewed Gentiles as, as unclean pagans. That meant that a good Jewish person didn't get too close to a Gentile. And it meant that this Gentile woman, in the Jews' eyes, had no right to come near a Jewish person, especially a guy like Jesus, who was seen as a rabbi. All right, so here we have, what we have here is we have a, we have a social challenge. We also now, we have a gender challenge. She's, we got a cultural problem. Her gender created a challenge for her. She was a woman. Now, ladies, this was a different time. It was a different culture. So don't be offended by what's going on here. But men dominated society in this time. There was no talk of gender equality. There was no talk of equal rights. According to the social customs, women were not even supposed to talk to men in public unless it was their own husband. She's got another challenge on her hand. Her other challenge is her daughter. 
And her daughter creates a spiritual challenge for her. Now, this was a spiritual challenge because this lady's young daughter was possessed by a demon. The Bible says an unclean spirit. Now, for those of you who have ever been with me or with one of our pastors to Burkina Faso, or you've heard us talk about it since 2008, demon possession is is still a big deal over in, in places like that. And if a child is demon-possessed, they're they're probably going to be chained up and left in a room somewhere, and the parents of that child are going to be avoided because people believe that 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 child and the parents are cursed. And that was the same mindset in, in, in New Testament times. If your child was possessed by an unclean spirit, people naturally saw you as being unclean and possibly cursed, meaning that in some way, for some reason, you have been cut off by God and you should be avoided. So I want you to think about this woman for a moment. I mean, here's this Gentile woman whose daughter is possessed by a demon and she had absolutely no good reason to approach Jesus in faith. Culturally, socially, spiritually, the odds were completely stacked against her. It was absolutely, there was absolutely nothing about her that qualified her to do what she did and yet she did it anyways. Which brings me to this question. What do you What do we do when we need a miracle? When when your faith is challenged and you need a miracle, here's what you do, first of all. You you approach God with confidence. You approach God with confidence. In Hebrews chapter four, the Bible tells us that while Jesus was here on earth, he experienced life just like us. He, He faced temptation, he faced rejection, he faced loss, he faced hardship. The only difference between us and him is that he faced all of it without sin, without sinning. So the writer of Hebrews says that because Jesus is our sympathetic high priest, meaning he knows what it feels like to face each and every challenge we face, then we should and we can approach him with confidence, not in fear, not in doubt, but we can come to him boldly in order to do what? To receive grace and mercy. And that's exactly what this woman does. She bursts into the home where Jesus is hiding totally uninvited and she's begged, she's, she's begging him to deliver his, uh, her daughter from, from this demon. Now the tense of the word beg means that she just kept on begging. She would not stop begging Jesus and she's pleading with him. She had resolved that she would not take no for an answer. Now the parents, those of, you who, those of us who are parents in this room, we get this, don't we? And we understand this. When your kid is in trouble, it doesn't matter how laid back you are, how timid you are, whether you're an introvert or an extrovert, you will do absolutely everything within your power to help your kid, won't you? Tim Keller says, there are cowards, there are regular people, there are heroes, and then there are parents. And and this, this woman was a mom. She's a mama bear in a helpless situation. And she could not fix her daughter. And she was desperate. So that helps us understand why she was able and why she approached Jesus with with such bold confidence. But here's the truth. Just so you know, Jesus invites all of us to approach him with that same confidence, with that same boldness that this woman had, regardless of what we're facing today. Regardless of the size of the miracle that you need, regardless of, of your past failures, regardless of your mistakes, regardless of the sins that you may feel that are so big, Whatever you feel disqualifies you from coming into his presence, Jesus says, come on. Come on, don't let that stop you. Bring your challenges because nothing is too big for me. And he promises to give us the grace and mercy we need to face those challenges head on. Now, let me give you a little warning. Jesus is not a a genie in a bottle. 
Okay, we can't just do our own thing and then all of a sudden we get desperate and come to him and just go, come on, Jesus, I need just one wish. Not three, just one. He's, he's not gonna be your personal mag- magician. You may go to Jesus with confidence and ask him for help. And like this woman, you may actually run into even more challenges. Now this, ha- this lady, I mean, she comes to Jesus with confidence. She's bold, but she runs into some, some interesting challenges. And, and the first challenge she runs into is Jesus's silence, which is really interesting. I mean, th- this same story, by the way, is recorded in the book of Mark chapter seven. And uh, I'm sorry, Mark chapter seven, it's re- also recorded in Matthew chapter 15. And in Matthew 15, in verse 23, 23 here's what it says. This, again, this lady's pleading, she's begging, she's not stopping. And the Bible says, but he did not answer her a word. Okay, get this. This woman has thrown herself on the floor. She's at Jesus's feet. She's begging and pleading for him to deliver her daughter and Jesus stonewalls her. He just sits there stoic. He doesn't say a word. have, Have you ever been in a situation before where you're sitting in front of someone that you trust, that you believe has your, your heart and you are pouring your heart out to someone and they just don't respond. I mean, they just look at you. They just stare at you. It's, it's frustrating, isn't it? I mean, you're putting your deepest emotions out on the line. It's a huge issue. And the person you're communicating with doesn't even give you a nod that they understand where you're coming from. That's what's happening here. And it's kind of odd, isn't it? I mean, imagine how this mother's feeling right now. And then, and then how about Jesus's disciples, which, which honestly was his, her next challenge. Matthew tells us, again, this woman is begging for help. Jesus is not respond, responding. And in frustration, the disciples say to Jesus, just send her away. Jesus, get this woman out of here. We, we've just gotten away from all of the craziness. We've just escaped all of the crowds that, that were in Galilee so we could come here and hang out with you and rest and get recharged. We didn't come here to deal with this needy woman. Please tell her to get lost. Now, here's what's interesting about what happens here. Jesus doesn't rebuke his disciples like you think he might. He doesn't say, guys, how dare you be so rude to this woman? How dare you be so insensitive and uncaring? I don't know if you know this, but you're the disciples. This woman needs our help. In fact, what he says next almost seems like he's taking their side. In Matthew 15, 24, Jesus says, I was only sent to the lost sheep of Israel. Hello, really? That's Jesus's response. Jesus is telling this woman, and she's pleading, my primary earthly mission was to the Jewish people. Now, let me try to help you understand what's going on here. There's a lot of you in this church who, who you do not live in Paulding County where this church is located. You come from Cobb, you come from Douglas County, you come from Bartow County, you're coming from Polk, you're coming from all over the place. Some of you are driving from the other side of town. Some of you are coming in from Alabama, all right? I mean, you're from all over the place. That, this would be like you coming down at the end of this service and me, I'm standing down here and, and you just come in and you just, you've got something heavy on your heart and I look at you and go, are you from Paulding County? No, no, I, I just drove over here from Cobb. I'm sorry, I can't pray with you because <laughs> I only meet over here with people from Paulding County. See, what would happen next is next week you'd be visiting another church and probably this afternoon you'd have some things to say about me on Facebook, right? Because that's what we do, all right? So, what, what in the world, but, but what's going on here? What is going on here? Well, later in Jesus's mission, all right, he's going to include all of us. But right here, right here 
In this moment of Jesus's ministry, his primary focus was the Jewish people, which goes all the way back to the promises that God made to made in the Old Testament. Now, in the book of Genesis, God establishes the nation of Israel through Abraham and his descendants. It was a nation that belonged to him. And he promised throughout the Old Testament that one day he was going to send Israel a Messiah, a, a savior, someone who would, would, would come and restore them back into a right relationship with him. And Jesus was that savior, which is what he is acknowledging with the statement, I was only sent to the lost sheep of Israel. Not to you, Gentile lady. Now, that's a big challenge, but it even gets better. Because the next challenge she has is Jesus' next response. Okay? In Mark, Mark 7, verse 27, here's what Jesus says. And he said to her, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Now, did Jesus just call this woman a dog? Not quite. During this time in the history of Jewish people, regularly, Jewish people regularly referred to Gentiles as, as dogs, which obviously was an insult. Now, today, here's the thing. We, we love our dogs. They sleep in our bed. They sleep with our kids. Some of you have them at the table. I mean, it's, it's, my dog has an Instagram site, right? It's amazing to see him work technology with those paws, right? People... <laughs> People use the word dog as a slang term of endearment. What's up, dog? You know, we do that kind of, you know, we do that, all right? And everybody's fine with it, okay? But back then, not so much. Matter of fact, first century dogs were usually scavengers. They were dirty, wild animals who survived by eating garbage and hunting other animals. If you've ever visited one of the third world countries that we go to, whether it's Burkina Faso or Guatemala or Nicaragua, then you've seen these kind of dogs running around. They're just looking for anything they can eat. So one might wonder, what is Jesus talking about here? He is agreeing with all of the other Jews. And he is, he's telling this woman that she was, is, 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 here's the question, all right? Is, is, is he agreeing with the Jews? And is he telling this woman that she's unclean like a mangy dog is unclean? Okay. Well, to our relief this morning, the simple answer is no. That's not what's happening here. In the Greek word, the word that Jesus is used for, uses for dogs is usually the word for puppies, a, a domesticated pet. And what he's actually saying in this little parable okay, to this woman is this. There's an order to how families eat. The children eat first and then the pets eat later. It wouldn't be right to throw the kids' food onto the floor for the dogs uh, to eat before the kids had a chance to eat. And Jesus is saying in the same way, I've come to, I've come to, to minister to Israel first to reveal myself to them as a fulfillment of all that God promised in the Old Testament. And then I will reveal myself later to the Gentiles. There's an order here. Jews first, Gentiles later. Now, Let's have an honest moment. How do you think you would have responded to this situation if you were this woman? You've approached Jesus with confidence, even though you know that you shouldn't have. You're a Gentile, you're a woman, and people, the people that you need help from think you're demon-possessed and that you're actually unclean. And then Jesus ignores you, and his disciples try to get rid of you, and then he tells you that his primary focus doesn't include you. Would you have left angry? Would you have gotten really discouraged? Would you have felt defeated and hopeless? I mean, honestly, that's what a lot of us do. And here's why I ask that. Because when, when you're desperate for God to help you, whether it's a miracle or whatever it may be, and you feel like your faith is being challenged, 
It's really easy to let those challenges keep, you, keep us from approaching Jesus at all. Because way too often, here's what happens. Satan will use those challenges to convince us that God has no desire to help people with the issues that we have. People just like us. And also, number two, it's so easy to wrongly translate what God appears to be doing. It's, we, sometimes we'll see his silence or even worse, we, we interpret what's going on as his lack of care. Which brings me to my second point. When you need a miracle, the last thing to do is to stop asking Jesus for help. Instead, what you need to do is ask him persistently. You ask him persistently. It would have been so easy for this woman to get up off the floor, brush herself off and storm out of the house. But that's not what she does. Instead, she stays, she pleads her case even more. Now, I just want to take a time out from this story, okay? For just a moment. And I want to shepherd you for just a moment, okay? Because I know that some of you, you are desperate for God to move. You may have come here today as a last ditch effort to, to try to get God to move on your behalf. I mean, for, for some of you, this is your Hail Mary. Let me take you to James chapter one for just a moment to explain this, hopefully to explain this story even more, but also to help you get to understanding on what may be happening in your own life right now. In James chapter one, verse two and four, I, I want to read this to you. It says, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow for when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. And James is reminding us that none of us are exempt from facing challenges. It's not if they come, it's when those challenges come. We're all gonna face them. And when they come, they're going to come in various forms. Sometimes the challenges we face are physical. Sometimes they're emotional. Sometimes they're spiritual. Sometimes they're relational. Matter of fact, I tell my elders sometimes that I have like, my life's like a pinwheel. I've got about six things on that pinwheel, six categories, okay? Family, work, you know, health issues, my boys, whatever it is, you know, staff, all that stuff. And it's like someone turns that pinwheel every day and it just lands on one of them and you have no clue where it's going to land. Anyone else feel like that? You, you, you know what I'm talking about? And James says, when those challenges come, we should consider it an opportunity for great joy. <laughs> That's an irritating verse, isn't it? <laughs> Especially if you don't understand what James is saying. The James, listen, James is not telling us to put on a smile and pretend that everything is okay when life is really hard. It's okay to admit that you're not okay. In fact, you'll never get the help you really need from God or anybody else as long as you try to, you know, fake it through whatever you're facing. Secondly, James isn't telling us to take joy in the pain we're experiencing in the midst of our suffering or our challenges. It's okay to hurt. It's okay to grieve. It's okay to be honest about what you're feeling with God, about God, with people, about people. What James is calling us to rejoice in is the spiritual progress that results in facing those tough times and those challenges in the right way. He reminds us that at times God will allow our faith to be challenged as a test because he's up to something. You say, what's he up to? Well, think for a moment about the purpose of a test in the first place. The purpose of a test is to reveal what we don't know and to expose what we do know. And it's the only when we become aware of what we don't know that we're able to learn and grow. 
And as God reveals to us what we don't know, what happens? He grows us and he teaches us and that endurance and that patience begins to develop in our lives. And it teaches us to be more and more dependent upon him. And it's critical. Listen to me now. It is critical that you see your faith challenges in that way. It's crucial that you teach your kids to see their faith challenges that way because this perspective is is what's going to allow us and want us to to keep going back to Jesus over and over and over. Not as our last resort, but as our first resort. It's this perspective that allows us to consider it an opportunity for great joy when we go through those challenges. And I believe that this woman understood this. Okay, she recognizes Jesus's actions and words as a test of her faith and it causes her to lean in and and embrace and engage Jesus rather than to run from him. Because look at her response in verse 28, okay? She answered him and she said, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Now, let me make a little point here. This woman, this Gentile woman is the first person in Mark's gospels to actually understand one of Jesus's little parables that he uses. The religious leaders didn't understand them. The disciples didn't understand them. And this woman, not only did she understand it, but she uses Jesus's own words and she says to him, I get it, Jesus. I get what you're telling me. I'm not Jewish. I'm not from Israel. So I understand that I don't actually have a place at the table yet. I get it. But Jesus... Even puppies get some crumbs every once in a while. And I need, some, I need something right now. Now, I don't, I don't know if you can relate to that, but when my boys were little, they had, we had two little miniature rat terriers and they loved to hang around underneath my son, Zach, Zach who's my youngest. They loved to just, they circled his chair like sharks. Sometimes they just sit there and because they knew it was just a matter of time before Zach, Messy Marvin, either accidentally or purposefully gave them an offering off of his plate. And that's the imagery here. And her point to Jesus was this, Jesus, there's more than enough food on the table to go around. I just need mine now. I'm desperate. See, here's what what this woman had. And it's the third thing. She had the right mindset. And if we're gonna have a miracle in our life, we have to ask with the right mindset. This woman's faith is what some scholars would call right assertiveness. Now that's something that our culture struggles with. We have very, we have very little concept of that. We, we're a culture that is accustomed to standing, basically standing up for our rights, defending our rights. We demand that things be given to us and given immediately because, because in our minds, we're owed things. We're owed those things. We have our rights, okay? And so here's how sometimes we'll approach God when it comes to our needs. God, give me what I deserve on the basis of my goodness. Can I tell you what that's called? That's called entitlement. And entitlement says, God, I've worked hard. I have followed the rules. I've cleaned up my outward behavior. Therefore, you owe me. Rightless assertiveness, on the other hand, says this. God, give me what I don't deserve on the basis of your goodness. Lord, I don't deserve this but you're good 
And so I'm pleading with you to give it to me based on your goodness. And that's exactly what this woman did. She recognized her challenges. She acknowledged her condition before the Lord. She admitted that there was nothing about her that warranted her, him, him helping her. And she just kept pleading out of desperation and out of, out of dependency on the basis of Jesus's grace and mercy. And in doing so, Jesus was moved and he commended her faith and he sent her home and he answered her prayer miraculously and he set her daughter free from this demon. That's faith. That's faith. It's when we persistently ask Jesus for help. Lord, we need a miracle to happen here today. It seems impossible to me, but you say all things are possible with you. It's when we trust in his character, when we trust in his promises, pleading with him to come through for us with the right mindset, asking not because we're good and we deserve it, but because he's able to do it. Here's the bottom line, and please don't miss this, all right? Jesus is good and he cares deeply about you. I don't know what you're going through today, but he's good and he cares deeply about you. Some of you, you are desperate for a miracle right now. And honestly, I don't know how your story is going to play out, but here's what I do know. You can approach Jesus in full confidence. You can ask him persistently for his help, knowing that he's good and he cares deeply. And I want you to know something about Jesus. Jesus wasn't playing games with this woman. He wasn't being rude. He knew exactly how to talk with her. Within the culture of the time, his conversation with her was was not only appropriate, but it was very understandable to her. She got it. He could have completely blown her off. He could have walked away from her, but he didn't do that. His conversation with her was beautifully designed to engage her faith and to engage her heart. When you need a miracle, just know that you're not approaching a God who is uncaring You're not approaching a God who is disengaged or disinterested. You're not approaching a God who is callous towards your needs. You're calling on a God who knows what you need even before you ask. And he loves you more than you could ever possibly comprehend. That love was displayed when Jesus laid down his life for you on the cross. If if he will go to that extreme, if God would go to that extreme for you to show you his love, to, to meet your greatest needs, then don't you think, don't think that he'll respond any differently towards those moments of challenge that you're facing when you really need a miracle in your your life. He's good, he cares, and he's still in the business of doing miracles. I want you to bow your head with me for a moment. I talk to a lot of people about salvation and about their spiritual standing before God. And so often, you know, I'll ask a question, you know, how, you know, if you were to die right now, what, what do you think would get you into heaven? And I hear this answer so often. Well, because I'm, I'm a good person, you know, I come from a good family or I, I've tried not to do a lot of bad things. You know, on that basis, I feel like I deserve heaven and I feel like things should be right between me and God because I'm really trying as hard as I can. Listen, if that could be true, then there would be no need for Jesus. Okay. Because there's nothing we can do There's no good that we can produce. There's nothing about our background or about our future or anything like that that could create a bridge between us, to to bridge the gap that exists between us and God. I mean, Jesus came to die for our sins. The only thing good 
that can get us in right standing with God is what Jesus Christ brings to the table, is what he did for us on the cross. He made that possible when we couldn't do it any longer. He stood in our place when we couldn't stand there. And he died and he bled for our sins so that we could answer that question faithfully when someone asks us and we could say, it's nothing that I've done. It's nothing that I could do. It's all what Jesus has done. He died on a cross for my sins. He saved me when I couldn't save myself. And because of that, things are right between me and God. Because I've received Jesus as my savior, I know that eternity is secure. And some of you need that today. You need that assurance. You need to, you need to pray with me at this moment. So pray with me today. Something like this. Lord, I pray today that you will save me because I've realized today There's nothing good that I'm bringing to the table that's gonna save me from my sins or to make things right between me and God because of sin. There's nothing that I I can do to be good enough to get me from here to heaven or to make sure that that God's with me through the rest of this life. I can't do it. It's, It's Jesus. That's what grace is all about. God offering me something I don't deserve. And so, Lord, with that in mind, I say yes to your offer of salvation and I receive Jesus into my life to be my personal Lord and Savior. Help me to know what to do next to take the next step. But today's my first step. And if you just pray that with me, here's what I wanna ask you to do. It's important. As God has just forgiven you of your sins and made you right right standing with him, would you let us know? Get your Get Connected card out, fill it out. You can turn it in at the help center in the atrium or bring it up to one of us in in, in the front here. Now, head still bowed, I know without a shadow of a doubt that there are many of you in this room that need a miracle in your life. You're either desperate or you're getting desperate, but you need a miracle. You, You need God to move. You've run out of your own resources, and now you're asking God, Lord, please do a miracle on my behalf. If that's who you are, I'm not gonna ask you to come down here, but I would like to ask if you would boldly with confidence stand where you are all over this auditorium, would you just stand? Because I want to pray for you. And I want this church to pray for you because this is family. This is what we do. This is who we are. We're a family together. And so you don't need to be embarrassed. You don't need to wonder what people are thinking. We've all stood at some point. And can I tell you something? I'm standing in front of you because I need a miracle. I've been praying for something for 14 years. It hasn't happened yet. I don't see how it's going to happen. I need a miracle. And when it happens, it will, because, it, will because, it will be because of nothing I've done or nothing my family's done. It'll be Jesus. It'll be that clear. And some of you are there. Would you please stand? If you need a miracle, I want you to stand. Maybe financial, maybe relational, maybe your future. Now, church, would you do me a favor? Would you just reach out your hand to the closest person next to you? And would you just pray for them right now? You don't need to know what they're going through, you don't need to ask them. God knows. Lord
we're desperate people in need of you. We need you to move today because we don't bring anything to the table. Even on our best day, that would cause you to move in the way we need you to move. This is all about you and your goodness. And so we are calling upon you. We appeal to your goodness. We appeal to your grace, to your character, to your promises. You're good. And we trust you with the way you're going to move. We trust you with your timing. We trust you with your, with, with your heart. But Lord, I pastor a church full of people who need miracles. And I cry out today, as their pastor, would you move on their behalf today? Lord, there's some sons and daughters that we're praying for here today. Would you save these kids? There's some financial miracles, Lord, we need you. There's some marriages that are on the brink of disaster. Lord, would you step in? We need a miracle. Lord, some of us are uncertain about the future. Would you put us on solid ground? Let us know you're with us, that we can trust you. Whatever it may be, a health issue, a granddaughter, a grandson, whatever it may be. Father, we're asking you to move today. God of miracles, would you move? God of miracles, come. We need you today. And we thank you, Lord, for your grace, for your mercy, and for your goodness. Thank you, Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.